Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, what a distinct privilege it is to be here with you this morning. Dr. Aiken has been a tremendous gift in my life and certainly to our family. And what a great encouragement to have the opportunity to learn from what God is doing here at Southeastern. In fact, the first time I ever came to the campus of Southeastern was one of the first Nine Marks conferences that was hosted here. And I know that's coming up here in a week or so. And what a great gift it was to me as a young pastor to come and just sit and to learn and to unpack what the Word of God is saying as it relates to the mission that God has called us to be about. It's such a joy to be here with you to get to share from the Word of God. I'm going to be in John chapter 17 this morning, and I would encourage you to grab your Bible and turn with me to John 17. Before I do dive in, though, I I think I have a a picture of my family that I want to throw up on the screen. Yeah, there's my wife Megan and our four kids Um, Last night was a fun night in our family. My oldest son, Brody, that you see there pictured, played in his first ever middle school football game last night. So I got to see him play ball and then drive up here uh, to be a part of of what we're doing this morning. But I am officially a football dad, and that is a very cool honor for me. So I am grateful for that. Uh, thankful, thankful for what God has been doing in our family. As Dr. Aiken shared, I'm the pastor of Shannon Baptist in Columbia, South Carolina, and I have a, a very unique privilege in pastoring Shannon. Shannon is the church that I attended as a college student while at the University of South Carolina. It's where my wife and I met and fell in love. It's where my wife and I walked down the aisle and were married, and it's where God called me into full-time gospel ministry, and now I get to pastor there. And what a joy it is to see how God has brought our life and our family full circle to now be a part of what God is doing to equip a new generation to launch out college students into the mission of God and to be a part of what he's doing in the city of Columbia. We're very, very thankful. John chapter 17, as you probably know, is uh, the prayer of Jesus. The prayer of Jesus given to us, recorded for us, right before Jesus is going to be taken away to the cross. John 17 is a very intimate, very important passage of Scripture because it reveals to us the heart of Jesus for his disciples. We get to see what matters most to Jesus as he prays for the followers that he loves, knowing that his time with them on earth is coming to an end. I want to read one verse just to get us started verse 11 of John 17. And what I'd like to do, this is our tradition at Shannon, is we ask everyone to stand for the reading of God's Word. Would you do that with me? It would help me feel very comfortable. Thank you for doing that. And what I say each week at Shannon when we stand for the reading of God's Word is the reason we stand is because the Word of God is our authority as a people of God. It is the foundation on which we stand. It is what God reveals to us is right and good and true. We need to hear from the word of the Lord. John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus says this in the midst of his prayer. I am no longer in the world, but they, my disciples, my followers, they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. 
So keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This morning I want to preach and talk to you about the power of one and the importance of unity in the body of Christ. Would you pray with me as we consider God's Word? Father, what a joy it is to gather in the name of Jesus. What a privilege it is to do so here on the campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I pray, Lord God, that as we turn our attention to your Word, that you would have your way with us, that our ears certainly would be open to listen to what you say, but Lord, I pray that our hearts would be receptive, fertile ground to receive your word. We pray above all that the name of Jesus would be glorified here in this place, that we might be equipped and inspired to go and live out the mission that you have called us to be about. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. John 17 is in the context of a very sacred moment that Jesus shares with his disciples. In fact, a bulk of John's gospel is devoted to the final moments that Jesus has with his disciples before being taken away to the cross. Beginning in John 13 all the way through John 17, we see Jesus gathered with his disciples in what we refer to as the upper room, the place where Jesus would share that last supper that we now call the Lord's Supper, the place where Jesus would wash the disciples' feet, the place where Jesus would look across the room and see one of his disciples and say, one of you is going to betray me. So many significant moments happening in this sacred space. And as Jesus begins to pray this prayer in John 17, he's praying this prayer that his disciples might hear what he's praying. In a sense, he's preaching as he's praying. He's teaching as he's praying. He's discipling as he's praying this prayer. And he's pouring out his heart to the Father. And running all throughout this theme in this prayer is this idea of unity. Unity among the followers of Christ. Unity among the disciples for the sake of the mission. We find ourselves today in a culture, certainly in this nation, where unity appears to be something that is lost. Unity appears to be one of those ideals from the past that is no longer a reality. And certainly as our culture becomes more and more polarized, more and more divided, it is easy to become more and more hostile towards those who do not agree with us. I found this interesting. There was a recent research project from the Pew Research Group that shows this finding. People believe that those who have opposing views from their own are seen as the greatest threat to our nation. 
It's a fascinating idea to consider because this is true on both sides of the conversation. The other side is the problem. The one thing that we can agree on in this nation right now is that we are divided and those who disagree with us are the greatest threat. It's a fascinating place to find ourselves. Here's the question. Is this also true among the church? Is this also true among the people of God? Jesus prays for unity among his people because Jesus knows how essential unity is, but how difficult unity is to truly experience. Jesus prays his heart knowing how powerful unity can be. He knows that unity will not go unnoticed. He knows that unity among his followers will be one of the most powerful forms of a witness in this divided world. But he also knows that unity is not natural. It's not easy to come by. So let me ask you this question. Why is unity so difficult? Why is it so hard? I want to give you two reasons from the Word of God why unity is so hard. The first one is very simple. People are involved. I once heard a pastor make this statement, ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. And isn't that true? If ministry were just about study and just about preaching and just about strategy and just about singing, it would be simple in many ways. But we all know ministry revolves around people, pointing people to the mission of God, pointing people to the glory of God, challenging people to live by faith. And this presents challenges. The Word of God reveals it this way in James 4 as James writes, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Word of God is revealing to us in any situation where there is division, if you press in far enough, you will find an example of someone who is putting their passions and their preferences ahead of the gospel. Is that true in our lives? A second reason unity is so difficult, and then we'll return back to our text for today, John 17, is simply this. The Word of God reveals to us that the enemy of God hates what God loves. Why is division so common in the church? Why do churches split? Why do so many churches get so easily sidetracked, focusing on things other than the mission? Why do people leave churches 
angry? Why do people walk away from the prayer of Jesus and his heart for his followers? There's a lot of reasons. But certainly we must understand that there is a very real enemy that hates what God loves, that is seeking to destroy the very thing that God reveals. I'm sure you know this text, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy that wants to destroy what matters most to Jesus. And you better believe, if Jesus prays for it, the enemy is going to attack it. He wants to devour and destroy what God desires to build. And one of the easiest ways for the enemy to attack and destroy in the people of God is to attack unity, to foster division to help promote dissension. Jesus prays for unity because he knows how essential it truly is for the mission of God to advance. A simple definition of unity that we can use in this context is this. Unity is a common purpose that flows out of common belief. A common purpose that flows out of common belief. So as we step back into John 17, I want to lay out four common beliefs that lead to the people of God living out a common purpose. Let's look back at the text. John 17, verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. A first belief that is essential to living out the prayer of Jesus is that we as a people of God are united in our belief of who God is. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people that you have given me. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I am revealing to your people who you are, Father God. I am a living expression of God. God in the flesh. God incarnate. The visible picture of God that shows us the very nature and the very character of God. You look to Jesus, you see God. As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. 
If you want to know God, know Jesus. He is grace. He is truth personified. And listen to this. He is better than the angels. That's pretty amazing to consider. You know, people love angels, right? They look real pretty on the top of Christmas trees. They're really cute in china cabinets when they're made out of porcelain. We like angels a lot. And the scripture is reminding us here, let's let's recognize this. Jesus is better than the angels. In fact, the angels' very existence is to worship him. He is far superior than all. And he is the expression, the tangible, incarnate, living God. For us to be the people of God that He has called us to be, for us to live the mission of God that He has called us to live, we must be unified in this foundational belief that Jesus is God. Go back to the text, John 17, verse 8. Jesus says in this prayer, I have given them the words that you gave me, for they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Second foundational belief that is essential for the people of God to be unified is that we are unified in the belief that God's word is truth. Dr. Aiken said a moment ago that I am the son of a Southern Baptist pastor, a preacher's kid, a PK. Do we have any other PKs in the room here today? Can I see? Yes, show me those hands. PKs must stand together, right? And you know, as a preacher's kid, that there are all kinds of things you learn about the church growing up in the home of a pastor, the good, the bad, and the ugly. As a preacher's kid growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, one of the things that I remember growing up that I would often go do with my dad was visit the local Christian bookstore. Anybody else ever do that with their preacher father? Go to the local Christian bookstore? Yes, this was, of course, long before Amazon took over the world. There were actual, actually stores that sold books. It was this crazy, crazy idea. And I would go with my dad to the local Christian bookstore so that he could get his references and his resources. And I always thought that was pretty cool because in the Christian bookstore, there was always this kid section, right? With all these fun little Bible knickknacks and all these little things that you could see. And they had cool shirts and cool music. I will confess to you today, the only time I ever stole something from a store in my life was from the local Christian bookstore. (laughs) I was in elementary school and there was this really neat little packet of pencils that said, smile, God loves you. I thought, man, that would be really cool to have, but I know my dad's not going to buy me that, so I'll just slip it in my pocket as we leave. I do want you to know it was not a Lifeway bookstore, so we didn't impact the convention at all. (laughs) 
But as the Lord would have it, I was certainly caught. My parents realized what I had done. They drove me back to the store so that I could very sheepishly apologize. The store owner did not find this comical at all. I got caught stealing from the Christian bookstore. But my favorite part of a Christian bookstore growing up was the section where those t-shirts hung on the wall. Those t-shirts were really, really cool. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that ripped a slogan out of culture and Christianized them so that we could feel like we were cooler than we really were. You know what I'm talking about? My favorite t-shirt that was hanging on the wall of the local Christian bookstore was the logo of Budweiser. But instead of saying Budweiser on the beer logo, it said God's Wiser, okay? And instead of saying king of beers at the bottom, it said king of kings. Now, I wanted that shirt so bad, but my dad would not let me get it. And all I can conclude is that they made that shirt for the Presbyterian kids. <laughs> Certainly wasn't for us. It was too edgy. But there was a shirt that my dad bought me one day at the Christian bookstore that simply had the word truth on the front. And underneath the word truth, it had a simple definition. What God says, regardless of how I feel. I'll never forget that shirt. My dad knew I needed that shirt. How important it is that we understand unequivocally, unquestionably, if we say we are followers of Jesus, if we say we are the people of God, there is a standard of truth that God has given us. It is not up for debate. It is not based on how we feel. It is not open to change. It is the standard laid out by God himself. But we live in a culture more and more where truth really is defined as how I feel. And if I feel different today, I can just change my truth. But think about how illogical and irrational this truly is. If I can change my truth based on how I feel, it is the perfect recipe for division. How could we ever hope to get along? How could we ever hope to be unified? If I'm the one who determines truth, then truth really is all about me and what I want. And if you're in my way, you are my enemy. If you disagree with me, the only option is that we divide. Jesus is showing us here in John 17 that we cannot be unified as a people of God unless we are built upon the unchanging, uncompromising truth of God's Word that is our foundation. And you know, the Word of God certainly is challenging truth. It's not always easy truth. 
In fact, the Word says about itself that it teaches, it corrects, it reproves, it trains. Those are not easy words to navigate. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is simply this. He said about the Scriptures and about the faith, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Because the truth is often not what we want to hear. The truth is always what we need to hear. And God loves us so much that He does not show us or tell us just what we want to hear. He tells us and He shows us what we need to hear. We go back to the text, John 17, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, specific to the disciples, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is a beautiful gift to us in the midst of the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is showing us a foundational belief that is essential to unity among the people of God. That we be unified in the belief, please hear this, that God is for His people. God is for His people. This is such good news. Especially as we navigate the journey of ministry. It can be so easy to feel overwhelmed. It can be so easy to feel all alone. It can be so easy to get discouraged in this journey of faith. I will confess to you this morning that one of the biggest battles I have faced personally in my time in ministry is discouragement. Something doesn't go the way you had planned. Someone that you thought was with you walks away. Someone questions your leadership and your vision. Painful things happen. And it can be a challenge. It can be discouraging. How I need to be reminded, how we need to be reminded that God is for His people. Romans chapter 8, to me, one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Scripture. But in Romans 8, we see this incredible, incredible good news. As Paul writes, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. Who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Oh, how we need to be rooted and grounded in this truth. 
It is far too common for the people of God to live their lives paralyzed by fear, terrified of what may happen to us in the world around us. But please don't miss this. God is for his people. God is with us. If you are in Christ, God is for you, and nothing can stop his love for you. You can trust in him. And if you are going to live out this mission that he has called his people to be about, and if you are going to live in unity with his people, you must understand, especially in moments of discouragement and especially when times are tough, that God is for his people. Finally, John 17, verse 11, where we started this morning. One final truth that is revealed in this portion of the prayer of Jesus. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. So keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This fourth belief laid before us here in the prayer of Jesus that is essential for unity among the people of God is simply this, that we be united in the belief that unity is essential for the church to point to Jesus. Unity is essential for the church to point to Jesus. If we are going to be a people of God pointing to Jesus, living for the glory of God, living the mission that he has called us to be about, to take the good news of the gospel into the world, to teach the word of God, to make disciples, to baptize others in the name of Jesus, if we are going to live this out that is burning in our hearts, that's why you're here. Because this mission is burning in your hearts. We must understand, to truly live this mission, unity is essential. We must strive for unity. We must fight for unity. We must resist the urge to make church or ministry about us and live by faith to make church and ministry all about Jesus. We must fight the desire to be more concerned with our wants and our personal desires than we are with the heart of Jesus. We must focus on what holds us together, united on the firm foundation of God's Word. And wholeheartedly, we must agree on what Jesus says is most important instead of being fixated on our differences and our preferences as it relates to style or strategy or methodology. It is a very unfortunate truth in the world of ministry that it is far easier to nitpick, pull apart, and criticize those who are doing things a little differently than us than it is to come together for the sake of the gospel advancing through us. 
but unity. Unity is the heart of Jesus. And unity in our culture today, quite possibly, just might be our greatest witness. That we stand together on what God says is most important, and we stand together for the sake of a people who have never seen, heard, or believed the good news of the gospel. Southeastern, we must remember that we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We are part of something that is so much bigger than our generation. We are part of a global, multi-generational, multicultural, eternal family of God. Let us not lose sight of this vision. And let us not stray away from the heart of Jesus for his people. I close with this passage from Hebrews chapter 12 and then a question for you to wrestle with. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we are a part of. So here's the question. Don't you want to run the race with endurance? Don't you want to do what God has called you to do? Don't you want to live out this passion faithfully to finish the work that is burning in your heart, a calling given to you by God? Don't you want to live the mission? So what weight What weight do you need to lay aside that is preventing you from upholding the heart of Jesus and living the prayer of Jesus? What sin is is clinging closely to you that is preventing you from upholding unity in the body of Christ? Is there a spirit of criticism Perhaps a spirit of cynicism or skepticism? Is there a view of judgment of others? Is there a heart of division? Is there a sin clinging closely to you that is preventing you from living as an answer to the prayer of Jesus? May we fix our eyes on what Christ has done for us. May we look to Jesus and see his heart for his followers and may we live for the glory of God to be revealed in us through the finished work of the cross of Christ that we cling to 
as we lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and live together as a people of God united for the world to see Jesus in us. What do you need to lay down so that the prayer of Jesus can be answered through you? Let me pray for us as we close here this morning. Heavenly Father, it is truly a privilege to turn to your word, to recognize that you in your love and your grace toward us reveal to us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And what a gift it is to hear through your word the heart of Jesus leaping off the page. I pray, Lord God, that this prayer would not only be rooted and grounded in our lives, but I pray, Lord, that this prayer would be answered through us. That as we look to Jesus, as we strive to live out the mission that you have called us to, as we rest in the finished work of Christ and yet urgently pursue this calling, I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people united in what matters most to you, that our feet would be firmly planted on the foundation of your word, that we would strive to work together for the sake of the gospel advancing through us, that we would be reminded in the days of discouragement that you are for your people. And Lord, as your Spirit reveals to us what perhaps is preventing us from living out this prayer of Jesus in unity among the body, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the faith and the courage to repent where repentance is needed, to confess where confession is needed, and to humbly bow before the cross of Christ, knowing through the gift of the cross and the power of your resurrection, there is grace and there is mercy to find help in our time of need. Would you do a work in us? And would you use us for your glory? We pray that we could be an answer to the prayer of Jesus. In his holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.